30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard One of my favorite definitions of the occult is that which is hidden or obscure. More than spooky spells and colorful candles, the occult can encompass all aspects of life hidden from public view, including our most private thoughts and intimate connections, which, despite leak-prone sex tapes and social media oversharing, still constitute a major element of our existence. Our lives are like houses with big windows. We put on lively shows, but few see what happens behind the curtains. For instance, let's say you meet a smiling couple at a friend's dinner party. As they cheerfully inquire how you know the host and what transportation you use to get there, you'll never know whether they just had a screaming fight in their parked car before coming in, or a screaming orgasm in the back seat. Because unless their secrets slip up to the surface, that knowledge will remain hidden or obscure. Which is why, ever since I was a curious young wizard, I've always been eager to understand what happens in those intimate spaces of others' lives, in the times and places where I am not, because if I was, just like the quantum physicist leering down the microscope at the parts and particles doing their vibrational thing, my very observation would interfere with the action. So when I met Lila Donalo, intimacy expert and host of the podcast Horizontal, I knew I'd found another connoisseur of deep conversation. On her podcast, Lila lies down with guests, literally in a supine position, to chat about intimacy, honesty, and everything else we share so selectively. So let's hear the intimate insights she's gleaned so far as we learn how to take life lying down. Lila, welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you. We're, we're sitting upright. I know this is not your... <laughs> it's very unusual. I'm, I hope I can still talk. Um, I, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll... I'll be your guide. I'll, I'll help you navigate the waters. Thank you. What's our magic word going to be? Rhapsodic. Rhapsodic. Wonderful. One, two, three. Rhapsodic. That's a fun one. Right? Why, why rhapsodic? Do you have a, a method to the madness? So... You, when you said a magic word, I wanted something that was delicious to say. Mm. And that is the first delicious word that came to my mind. Mellifluous also came to my mind. Ooh, those are good. I like words. You like words. Mm. And you like people. Mm -hmm. And connecting with them. (laughs) That's kind of my thing. And lying down. On your podcast, Horizontal. Yeah, that's that's been my M.O. I always sought one-on-one time with my people. 
and got really antsy when I couldn't have it or when somebody else tried to encroach on our time together. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of friends who are much more social and they say, oh, sure, you know, so-and-so's going to come. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> it's our time, that's our time. Three's a crowd, buddy. <laughs> but, yes, the opportunity to recline with people like we would if we were kids at a sleepover or if we were camping and we'd stayed up to Star Watch or waited until the sunrise or... Or as if we had just been physically intimate and then we're lying there with without the the that juice just kind of floating in connection. It's like the classic PG thirteen postcoital exposition where you <laughs> you have like the sheet wrapped around you and then you're just talking for a moment before the action starts again. And we wear robes. You wear robes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like this. Yes. In every episode recording, we've worn robes except for one. Yeah. In which we were naked. Because it was very, very hot. Literally, not metaphorically. Yeah. Too hot for robes. Yes. He was very sweaty. So how did you become a horizontally oriented intimacy aficionado? How did I become? That's such a big question. That's the kind we ask here. Okay. All right. I'm going to go back to when I was a kid. And I don't have a lot of memories from being a kid before the age of 12, which is when my parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. Which, if you know anything about trauma, you can point to that and go, oh, of course. You know, blank spots in her memory before the age of 12 big traumatic event at 12, I still have not recovered any of that memory. But one memory that I do have, I don't know who he was, but there was a little boy who would kiss me, but only if we were lying down in my hammock in the backyard. So my horizontality, I think, began early. (laughs) My (laughs) desire to be horizontal with people. I loved sleepovers. I loved sharing secrets. And then I was telling you about my my nomad year. And that year, pretty much wherever I went, I stayed with people I didn't know. And invariably, we'd end up 11 p.m., 2 a.m., kind of lying around on couches in their living room talking about relationships. Because I'm nosy and curious and I really want to know about what goes on in people's quote-unquote private lives. Well, being nosy, I think, is an art form in and of itself because there's the intrusive negative kind where it's prying, it's unwelcome. But there's also a form of curiosity that helps somebody else unspool this thing that they've been wanting to get another set of eyes on and, and think about it and talk about it and that's a real valuable skill to be able to help someone pull that information out i actually haven't called myself nosy before today i think i was trying to poke fun at myself for your benefit okay (laughs) i think is what it was yeah i have an insatiable curiosity about the way that people's relationships work the way that people communicate in relationships what happens when it deteriorates what happens at the end 
and we're talking about rituals, I want us to have closing rituals for relationships. Plus one. <laughs> and I did one with my ex, and he was game. We kind of had a little bit of an idea, and then we kind of let whatever could happen that evening happen. I had an idea that we would finish printing out some Polaroids of our time together and put it in this little album. We started that. It didn't really happen. One of my housemates, Morel, held agreed to hold space for both of us to do this spring cleaning practice, this Mama Gina practice. Do you know this? Mm-mm. It's, it is a, a ritualized rant in which you can just release on a particular topic with someone whose role is to hold space for you and to give you usually seven what they call pulls. So I would say I would like to spring clean on sexual attraction and getting what I want. And you might say, okay, Lila, I'm happy to hold space for your spring clean. Yeah, I'm game. And, you know, what do you have on sexual attraction and getting what you want? And I would start to speak stream of consciousness. And then when that stream dried up, you would say, thank you. What do you have on sexual attraction and getting what you want? And I would start again. And so you, 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 maybe the first two are the things that you say to all the people when you're talking about this. But then you get to the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. And you're really peeling back the layers, the onion layers. And you're really unearthing some things. And, and releasing them by verbalizing them in a container which is held by somebody loving you. Which is one of the core ideas that I've always appreciated about ritual is that you're doing an opening and a closing to that mm. ritual that serves as bookends where this is when the magic happens. Things now mean something different in this space. And then, okay, I'm closing this and I'm going back to the normal world and I'm not just leaving this energy loose and hanging about. Right. You're not going to be in the middle of a ritual and say, actually, I feel like watching Seinfeld on my phone for a bit. <laughs> oh, let's finish up the ritual. It's like a, a set time a and space time. to do it. And I love that idea of doing a, a, a verbal purge of the top layers and getting down to the, the roots. Maybe 90% of ritual is just focus. It's deciding we're going to focus on... Oh, X. absolutely. Yeah. And tools to focus on X and ways to, I think, get in agreement with a group of people. To focus on X. Yeah. Your whole tribe is like, we want food. We want the hunt <laughs> to go well. Let's <laughs> let's do a play about a hunt that goes well and we're all going to focus on it. And then when we go out and hunt, we've all agreed this hunt's going to go, go well. well. And hopefully it does. And the people that were good at it, it did. And then we descended from them. And Right. And, and they survived. So Morel in my room held space for us to spring clean separately in turn. While the other person was witnessing or? No. no. Just witnessed by her. Yeah. So she held that for us. And then suggested that 
we dance. So while the other person was spring cleaning, we were physically oh, okay. moving energy and, and releasing. Not a couple's dance. No. We did that. She took her leave. And then we, we went to bed for the last time, essentially, and lay down together and just spoke. And because I had my, did my spring cleaning on, on everything that frustrated me, mm-hmm. I was able to lie in bed with him and speak to what I appreciated and what I was grateful for. And one thing that I appreciated about this partner was that he always chose to show up. And it was mostly difficult with us. But we both chose to show up and deal rather than ignoring, running mm-hmm. away, gaslighting. So that was our our makeshift ritual. How do you feel like that changed the process after the, the relationship ended? Was it a breakup that was you two agreeing that dating didn't make sense anymore? He came to that, but initially I, after he yelled at me in a juice press in a public place. Juice is stressful. (laughs) I said, this is when we break up. Yeah. And he was initially quite angry that I didn't bring it to him for discussion. Mm. But I knew. And... Nobody yells at me in public. That's just like that. That was crossing a barrier I didn't even know I had. But I was like, no, Mm-mm. it's not okay. And one of the main issues was his anger and his anger management, yeah. and his unwillingness to look at that squarely while we were together. So, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a mutual decision. It was my decision, which he knew was the best thing. And then, you know, came to that it was the best thing. But he, yeah, he came around and was was willing to go through this breakup ritual process. Yes. Rather than a, I'm going to go and talk to someone and they're going to be upset and then I'm going to have to leave and ignore their calls for a week. And there's other ways of breaking up that are, I think they have their own rituals. They're just maybe, <laughs> maybe not as optimum. I would love to be able to tell you that then we developed a healthy friendship, but it's not true. Yeah. However, I think that we closed well. We closed to the best of our ability, and we did it consciously. And I am proud of that, and I want to do that better. I think I think you're totally right that there's... Uh relationships are something that we have a very idealized version of in media that is entirely front-loaded all all media about love is about falling in love in the very beginning of it there's very few that are about sustained relationships and how to actually do the partnership aspect of of love and we then try and live up to this weird idea of like 100 percent constant burning passion that's not sustainable and we have no rituals and like you were saying earlier it's hidden a lot of this. Oh, yeah. There's so many times that you, I mean, there's sometimes that you have the friends that are a couple and you're like, oh, good Lord, when will they wake up to the fact that 
they're a nightmare and everyone yes. knows they need to break up. But there's so many other times that you have a friend that maybe you don't know quite as well and you see them and their partner and you're like, oh, you guys are so great. And then suddenly That's they're breaking great. up and you're like, oh, we had no idea because it all happened at juice presses and <laughs> 4.30 in the morning fights about right. Netflix and just all the terrible things that um, you can get in fights about the stupidest stuff. Yeah, I love to know what what the challenges are between people and how they navigate them. What tools they use. We did go, I, I really pushed to go to a, a therapist together. And he was like, I don't think we're at that point. And I was like, I think we're at that point or we're going to break up. Yeah. And... <laughs> I said, well, what is the point? What is the point at which it is you've done enough time that you can then go to someone for help? Why isn't it natural that you would go to someone for help to figure out ways that you're going to navigate the issues that you know are going to come up? Why do you have to wait for that? What What is, you know, an... an what is the correct amount of time? You have to be together for a year before you go and get help from somebody else. It's like if you want to if you want to walk together for a while and you're having trouble at the beginning, then don't you want the help then? Think it's just going like, to get worse. If it was a medical doctor and everyone was like, oh, you only go to the medical doctor when you're really, really, really sick. And then people are like, ah, but why even bother going to a doctor? People always die right after they visit. <laughs> it's like, I think we're I think we're using doctors wrong. I think you're totally right that there's an early part where you're starting to have fights. And if a couple said, oh, hey, things have been going really great. And now we're having this difficulty. Let's go see a therapist together. So many people would be like, Why? Right. But, you're, but like everything's great, and you're like, I know, but we started to have these fights that I was really not happy with. No one would like it's, uh, that would be so confusing to people, right? And yet, what a great idea! Why is that considered the death now? Mm-hmm. Only because people go when it's that bad that you possibly can't save it. Yeah. Rather than to figure out tools and tips and strategies, and to get an outside eye on the relationship that is actually seeing some of the inner workings because usually you wind up fighting in front of them. And Well, I think if, if, if you're in a dyadic relationship, if there, as long as you're not having you know multiple partners that are all involved in it, there's no way to settle it. It's 50-50. Mm. You think you're right. I think I'm right. There's no way for us to ever get closure and realize that. And sometimes like the times that I've gone to a couple's therapist, it's not like the therapist is this judge that sits and then goes, she's right, he's wrong. You're dismissed. Bye. But sometimes they have perspective that it's like really validating where you're like, oh my God, I was not certain. I thought I was I was correct in this regard, but I wasn't confident because I was trying to respect my partner's take. And no, it looks like my, my view is validated a little bit. Then you can work with the other person. Then you have a little bit more. It's not just about being right, but it's about figuring out a way to get past that impasse. So it's and not they- just... They point to relational blind spots, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when two people have a thing, Mm -hmm. usually they go in a hamster wheel over the same thing in in very similar ways with very limited variations. And you need somebody to be like, hey, 
did you did you think about maybe how that might connect to your childhood da 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 with your mom and et cetera right. et cetera right yeah and the the most valuable simple tool that she taught us was reflective listening which I the most valuable tool she taught you was reflective listening reflective listening you know this I'm I, of course I know it but for the <laughs> listeners why don't you go ahead and explain it <laughs> so if I say I've historically chosen men who wouldn't prioritize me so that I didn't have to draw strong boundaries, then you could say, what I heard you say was, and in your words, interpret. Mm. Tell me your interpretation of what you heard. Because so much happens that spins out into fights that comes from an interpretation that might not be accurate of what the other person said without checking in with the assumption that you made to interpret it in that particular way. So you've, so what I'm hearing is that you have dated people who were maybe withdrawn a little bit or just weren't as focused on you as a way of avoiding having to create and maintain your own boundaries. Is that? Yes. That's, that's what you've been dealing with. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. I, which I recognize now as that I have somebody in my life who's suddenly very open to me and I need to draw boundaries in order to maintain everything I've built for myself up until now. And also to maintain, I think, my my attraction for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm f- struggling. And the fact that I'm struggling leads me to believe that that is why I've chosen people who whose work was always going to be their number one, people who have kids that are in their top priority, people who don't live here, people who live in another country, where the boundaries... Prisoners... <laughs> Not yet. The boundaries are built in. Yeah. And they always had stronger boundaries, whether or not they had to state them. You know, it's just like, I have a work project here, or I'm only in town for X amount of time. They had stronger boundaries than I did, so I never needed to enforce my own. So, what I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this again, because I think this is great. So what I'm hearing now is that you are currently seeing someone who has changed the pattern, which is making you aware of it because you're experiencing some discomfort in realizing that you're having to do this work that you had traditionally offloaded onto the other person by picking them, by, by through selection. <laughs> and now you're having to confront that pattern and also figure out how to establish these boundaries for yourself without necessarily having all the practice that you might have had if, if you had had a different pattern before. Oh, I think that's very, very true and very fair, yes. We are not in a romantic relationship, so it might be a lot easier for you to hear what I'm saying, mm-hmm. right? But 
were we, it, it's possible that you would use your knowledge of, of our relationship and what you know about my history to infer things that I don't necessarily mean. And so when, here, we had this huge thing about obligation. Did you ever read Milan Kundera's The Book of Laughter and Forgetting? Of course, love that book. So he has that short lexicon of misunderstood words. Mm -hmm. And the one I remember is Parade. How for one of them, Parade was a great celebration, the time that they got hoisted on their father's shoulders. And, mm-hmm. and for the other one, Parade meant fascism. Yeah. And, and... Rigidity and yes. structure, yeah. So... It was not going to see the Garfield float on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> right. So I have a trigger with the word obligation. Because I feel obligated to my mother. I feel really challenged by that. Obligation to me says, I really don't fucking want to do this. I'm going to do it anyway because I feel obligated. And he felt obligated to show up and go to this therapy with me. And the word obligation was really so triggering to me that Mal Harrison, who was the therapist that we saw, said, all right, we're going to, we're going to find, we're going to find a different word. What I hear you saying is that you are willing to show up and do this work, even though it's challenging. And he said, yes, that's it. He meant willingness. I heard. Obligated. Ugh. I don't want to. Ugh. You know, and he was like, oh, it's challenging, but I am willing. And that shift was quite important and we wouldn't have gotten to that without the the reflective listening there's an idea in hypnosis and i don't know i don't think you know the veracity of it matters so much i think we can talk about it metaphorically but this idea of different modalities that people are kinesthetic or auditory or visual and that's their preferred mode and you will find that with some people, it's so much easier for you to describe a visual scene and they're like, I was there, or somebody else, the audio, you can say, and remember a piece of your favorite music and they're going to hear it crystal clear. Mm. And then somebody else is just going to respond better with touch. And when they talk about this in the text on hypnosis, they'll always give the example of couples that are misfiring because they have different modalities and they don't realize they're partnered. And so mm. the wife is saying, you know, oh, he never listens. I just don't feel like I'm being heard. And that's, you know, she's clearly coming from an auditory perspective. And then the guy says, I just feel so disconnected and out of touch with what she wants. And it's like mm-hmm. he has, you know, and they're just they're just missing each other because they're trying to send messages. It's that like idea of love languages. Love languages, that, yeah. You know, you have, I clean the whole apartment for you. That's what I would want. Did you get it? And they're like, oh, I just wanted a note. Right. <laughs> could you just hold me? Yeah. Could you just hold me? That's all I need. Yeah. I think, I mean, um, the reflective listening is a very valuable skill. I remember ages ago, I was in the like counselor therapist office at, at the university I was going to, and they had a pamphlet called Fighting Fair. 
And it was just talking mm. about how to fight in a relationship and how not to fight in a relationship. And reading that little pamphlet changed my brain forever. Not that I was then perfect and I never did it, but I just realized that there are so many of these things that you just get stuck in that's just a loop. It's like a glitch that you continue to bring up this, you know, all fights lead back to one fight. That like, no matter where the fight starts, it then gets back to, and then you did that thing at my sister's wedding. It's like you've never gotten closure <laughs> and it's always still stuck on that idea. And I, th- I remember, I think Reflective Listening was definitely a part of the, the things to do because you're walking through the process together. Instead of butting heads with each other, you're getting on the same page and saying, the two of us are committed to resolving the issue here and we can only see it from different perspectives, but by bouncing back and forth, we can learn more and more about how you see it, how I see it, and figure out what's between us and how to dissolve it. I really like the very similar, the circling language of, I have a story about you that, mm-hmm. is it true? Yeah. And Because then you have the opportunity to check in and the person can say, absolutely, or not at all, it's actually this, or it's kind of a little bit like that, but it's more like this. And then you can actually get into it. I've had so many, you know, fights in my time where I totally thought I had a read on the situation and this other person had done something that was so egregious and fucked up and I was clearly the wrong party. And then when we talk about it later, slowly I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess I did do that thing that was bad. And I <laughs> see your point a lot, actually. And, oh, shit, okay. And, it, it like, you know, it sucks when you've, dug in your heels and then you refuse to see that yeah it's not fun to be like 30 minutes into an argument and be like actually i might be i have the wrong horse can we can we trade but that's better than you know just endlessly fighting about something because neither party is willing to learn from the other it's what we see in our political discourse these days i have a really strong tendency to blame Mm. and i have been very consciously keeping my eye on it for the past few months and you haven't done it at all in this conversation (laughs) thank you progress i've been inspired by a lover of mine named michael who just has done a lot of work to get to this place but really has a handle on making the most generous interpretation of events as the default because it's simply healthier to do that you know and I think there are many reasons why I might have learned how to I I call it triaging but to look for the worst case scenarios and figure out what you're going to do if those are indeed true and maybe I'll never stop doing that and it's probably a very it's probably saved my life over and over and over again in this city as a woman. You know, there are probably many reasons why I became good at that. But it's not where I want to live. Yeah. So maybe my brain is going to do that and then it will feel comfortable knowing that, okay, if that guy comes for me, I'm going to dart off this way. But I would like to be choosing the most generous interpretation of the situation, of somebody's motives. And it really is training for me 
because I have my, let's call it my, my New York that is like, mm, 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 yeah. you know? <laughs> well, we built that in the city because I, I think about that all the time of, do you want to run the risk of being swindled, let's say, like mm. falling for the con or do you want to be the person who the person's like, I'm really in need. I need someone to help. And you're like, yeah, screw off. I don't have time for this. Like, this is clearly a scam. <laughs> they blow right past. Uh, friends were telling me about being in Mexico City. And there was this guy that had this crazy story about needing insulin. And they were really going along with it. It was like, they're like, this story is too crazy not to be true. Like, and then right before they were going to literally go take out like $200, like help this guy one of them decided to look it up on Reddit and found an exact match of the story. They're like, Whoa. oh, all right, this is totally a scam. Like, we're, nope, screw this guy. Whoa. But I was like, I totally understand that feeling of you don't want to close your heart. You don't want to be that person where someone really needs another human being to just do them a small kindness and you don't have the time for it because your your guard is up. I would say I have failures of kindness and compassion all the time, but I strive to... I. I think of it as aperture. I strive to be skilled with... Aperture is the opening in a camera that allows mm -hmm. light in. And, and I strive to be skillful with how much and when I open and close mm -hmm. my aperture. Which is probably a lifelong dance and balancing act. Yeah. How does that play into being intimate with guests on your podcast or having um, this process of trying to connect, connect intimately with, with people. It feels very safe to have the aperture wide open mm -hmm. when I, because of who I choose to lie down with. And I have two criteria. One is that I'm fascinated by the person, which rules out plenty of people. And two is that I want to lie down next to them, which rules out a ton more people. Mm-hmm. And so if those two things are in place, then it's, it's very easy to, to share so freely with them. Have you developed techniques to help the other person get comfortable and get in the zone and open up? I operate by a, a me first policy if I, if I feel like that's needed, which most of my guests don't, don't require... Mm, unraveling in that way. Mm -hmm. Most of them are unraveled. Com they comfortably unravel themselves. But if someone does need it, I'm willing to share first. And I think that is a good... That's a good rule of thumb if you're wanting more intimacy. Because you go first. Which I think is helpful in a lot of situations. I found that um, in so many environments, you can you can kind of set the tone. If you get in early and you are willing to share something, then the whole room will open up. Exactly. If you miss your chance and then it's it's already <laughs> set a tone, and then you can be a little bit an outlier and it feels weird. Yes. But if you're able to set that early, other people will say, oh, all right, that's... that's so you this know, is the game we're playing. Yeah, yeah okay. we're all going skinny dipping tonight. All right, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah. into that. 
I have it very specifically with with skinny dipping. There was a a man that I was really attracted to, a clothing designer, and I invited him over. He's a really interesting, really quiet type who was involved with very sceny people, but was an extremely sort almost monk like meditative type person, yet was deep in this fashion world. And I invited him over to go in the hot tub and he was like, I brought a swimsuit and I was like, no. <laughs> and I just undressed myself. And I, you know, if he wanted to put on the swimsuit, I wasn't going to stop him or anything. But I went first. And I got fully naked. I'm like, come on in. Water's fine, you know. Yeah, I think that, I think that it, people can be very inspired by vulnerable sharing. I think there's an art to it, too. I remember very specifically at a party in Austin that had rented a moon bounce. And some friends came over to me, and they're like, Devin, you know a moon bounce? Like the thing that you you can, mean like the bouncy castle? Like the bouncy castle. Yeah, yeah. And so we had that at this party, and they came over, and they're like, Devin, we want to get a naked party started in the moon bounce. Yeah. And I really like thinking about social dynamics, and when I looked at the party, and I thought about it, and I was like, okay. You need to have at least three women that are going to be willing to get naked when we all go for it. And then no more than four men at first. Like, that's what we need to to yes. set that. And they're like, okay. And they kind of, like, got the people... Minimum viable nakedness. Minimum viable nakedness. <laughs> and then they, like, went and they found, you know, the, the remaining people that we needed. And they're like, okay, we're ready. And then we did it. And it was... It totally worked. Like, not everyone at the party got naked. There was definitely people who their defenses came up and they wanted to kind of laugh at us. And we're like, dude, we're having a great time. Like, <laughs> we're not the butt of... We're the butt of our own joke, not your joke. But there's certain situations where you need to just set the the tone like that. That yeah. if one guy gets naked, it's too easy to be like, oh, someone's being too much of a party Weirdo. animal. Weirdo. If like three guys got in there and got naked, no one else no. is going to get in there. But if you have that right mix, then everyone's like, okay, cool. Like, uh, like. This is already happening. I feel empowered, and the people that want to come get drawn into it, and yes. it makes it very possible. The same way that if you're out back at a party and you get into a deep conversation, then there's going to be people that get drawn in, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I'm down for some open-hearted sharing. Let's let's drive with this." It's like creating a positive vortex. It's a positive vortex. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what's like the opposite of a black hole, where it's like. Not sucking people down. A but white geyser. A white geyser. <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> white. A white protrusion. Does sound too white power? I don't like that. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's got to be like a like a a unicorn geyser. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Space horn. <laughs> what does intimacy mean to you? Mm, I've been thinking a lot about this over the past couple of years. So my working definition is. <laughs> oh, that's a great definition. <laughs> I'm just yeah, I'm just gonna Party leave, laugh. Just gonna leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's because I'm laughing because I'm writing a speech about it. And what came to mind was I was like, oh the equation. No, the definition. No, the, the activity. No Webster's <laughs> defines intimacy. <laughs> I, I I hear that's a really great way to start any speech. So, 
my little equation. It's new. It's a new equation. I'm going to go back to my, my original working definition, which was seeing someone deeply and being seen deeply through a lens of compassion. Mm. That's what I started with. Yeah. And I've been, I've been playing with the components that I think are necessary. And one of them that was really important, that is really important, is permeability. So there are things that some people might call intimate that don't fall into my definition of intimacy. And I've been thinking about this a lot because my season three is with people who are in an intimate relationship of some kind. And I've been asking myself what falls into that category. And therapist client does not fall into that category for me. Because the therapist has a little bit of a wall in front of them that it's not going to go back that way. Your therapist is not going to be as revealing. Because the, yeah, the sharing probably doesn't go with the same kind of aperture, the same kind of openness both ways. And sharing, I think, is the, the, the first. And it's the first building block of my equation that I've been working on. And sharing is like undressing yourself. It's like, see me. I, I am sharing with you. You can share without intimacy. Because you can share without seeing somebody else. And you can share even without being really seen. So just sharing does not intimacy make. This is like conversation. Someone can tell you a bunch of stuff, but they're not listening and they're not, you're kind of, you could be a wall. Like they're just going to talk at you. And you're like, just because you said a lot of revealing personal stuff doesn't mean that you were vibing with me in any way. Doesn't mean that we are intimate. And so permeability is is really important and it has to go both ways in my definition of intimacy. I originally was playing with that when I started thinking about it in more of an equation way. I was playing with a willingness to change or a willingness to be changed by the connection. And Dominic, actually, Dominic Cartuccio pointed out to me that there are situations in which he has had intimate connections in which he didn't feel willing to be changed, but he was changed anyway. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking a little bit further into that. Like in, I, in AA, I know because I had a partner who was in AA, they say, you don't have to be willing. You just have to be willing to be willing. So you can take it even, even one more removed. Right? You might not know that you're willing to be changed by this person, but you're willing to be willing because you're a person who wants to grow in the world or something, you know? That's something that happens as religions develop as well, where it goes from faith to having faith in faith, that like Mm. we believe that wanting to believe in God is the important thing. And like, you don't actually have to succeed at it, but you just have to have that urge. And that's the important thing. That's why... We justify all the things that the church is and and does. 
it was a big relief when a concept like that came up. I was in Codependence Anonymous for a year, mm-hmm. and it was a big relief when that kind of concept came up. That I didn't have to believe and have faith. I could have really a desire to be yeah. connected with something greater. And that desire was enough. Yeah. That desire was a connection in itself. Well, speaking of occult topics, mm-hmm. what is a wonderful spell that we can weave with all of the listeners at home to help them create more intimacy in their own lives? Okay. So I've had approximately five minutes to think about this, and I'm excited. <laughs> I think you've been thinking about this for a long time. <laughs> Actually, as soon as you said you wanted a spell, I was like, I got it. I know yeah. what I want to do. Am I guiding them through the spell right now? Sure. I'm not in control. Okay. <laughs> Both and? Yeah. Go into your room and close your door. Turn off your light. And then very, very, very slowly, slower than slow, and then slower than that, start to take off one piece of clothing. And do it as though you are the clothing and you can feel being taken off by you and you are you and you can feel the clothing being taken off. Feel from the clothing perspective and from your skin perspective. And then slower than slow and slower than that. Do this with every other piece of clothing you have on. And when you have no more clothing on, stand and feel your own skin. Beautiful. That's my spell. I love it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I feel so wizardous. For more of Lila, visit horizontalwithlila.com. And to permeate the boundary of this magical ritual and create an intimate connection that goes both ways, not just wizard and listener, but wizard and ritual participant, you can visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual where a sacrificial offering as low as $4.20 will grant you access to the inner sanctum of this ritual where we are creating connections through the private wizard hotline and subscriber only content. That's just going to grow and get better as this conversation continues. So whether you're on the outside looking in or on the inside looking good, Until next time, I'm Devin Person. I believe in you. Your magic is real.